Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Busted Business Bureau podcast. I am your host, Christian Borky, and I am at the Lincoln Lodge Theater. The Lincoln Lodge produces this podcast. You should give them all your money. I have a really incredible topic today. I do need to say up top, this is going to be a lot of body stuff, organs, and medical shit. If that's not your vibe, this is simply not the episode for you, because it will be the entire time. That said, I have... An amazing guest for this specific episode. It's my friend BB. Hi, everyone. I am friend BB. <laughs> BB, uh, what is your major in college again? Um, so it's kind of a long name. Mm-hmm. Uh, biological sciences with the concentration in ecology, evolution, and conservation. But the foundational classes are pretty body related. I took physiology um, and organic chemistry, which feel relevant. You went through organic chemistry? Oh, yeah, it was a whole time. It was horrible. <laughs> That's rough. Sorry. Thing. Sorry to all the chemists out there. <laughs> um, I feel like every week I'm on a mission to get myself and my host canceled on this <laughs> podcast. And so now that you are, have been canceled yeah, by the chemist community. All the, the chemist academics are really going <laughs> to... Everyone's unsubscribing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was my main fan base, BB. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I have a question for you to start the episode. What do you know about pessaries? Uh, starts with a P. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I've got. Amazing. So where the fuck do I begin with this one? Pessaries have, for thousands of years, been humanity's solution to the problem of organ prolapse. Okay. Organ prolapse refers to the beautiful biological phenomena of your organs sagging with age. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not personally, but, you know, with the concept. (laughs) And uh, this results in either, you know, the structural integrity of your insides being altered or straight up like a small intestine sticking out of your vag. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from, (laughs) you know, the, the moderate to severe side of that, it can be any of it. It could be your bladder, small intestine, uterus, which is pretty often and what we'll be talking about a lot today. Mm-hmm. I think your rectum too. It can be really any number of organs can decide to quit. Yeah. And so pessaries are a physical object that people, again, this is dating back to like ancient Egypt, have just been sticking inside of themselves to like hoist up the organs. Yeah. yeah. According to the International Urogynecology Journal, it is estimated, pelvic organ prolapse, is estimated to affect 12 to 30% of multiparous and about 2% of nulliparous women. Do you know what those words mean? No. It. I'm so glad that you don't because I also <laughs> did it and I felt kind of silly for not knowing. No, you're fine. Multiparous means like you've birthed multiple children. Okay. And nulliparous is you've never birthed a child. Word. So if you've birthed a child, you have anywhere between a 12 and 30% chance of your organs just like sagging out. Mm-hmm. So 2% of nulliparous women. You know, I can look forward to that future. Yeah. I like those odds for myself. <laughs> um... I found a paper. I'm going to really go over pessaries, despite the fact that it is not that relevant. No, to the it podcast, sounds relevant. I feel like it's context to yeah. know that people have been trying to solve this problem for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I found a paper. I'll link it in the description of the podcast. That's a six-page doozy tracking some of the thousands-year history of pessaries. Mm-hmm. I did pirate this article from SciHub. Okay. No one um, has to know. No, I kind of want to tell people okay. um, about the crime I committed. I, because I didn't find out about this until like my senior year of college. Uh-huh. It's sci, S-C-I, dash hub, dot S-E. You can type in like the URL for any academic journal and mm-hmm. it'll just pop it up for free. Yeah. 
So I think people might be wondering, how do I get access to so many academic journals on this podcast? And that is how. Anyways, spread the good word. I don't think each pessary necessarily builds on the last that I'm going to describe, but I just want to give you a highlight reel. Ancient Egypt, uh, they used to dip a finger in honey or petroleum and just sort of shove the organs back in place. Uh, like I said, this is not, for, this is, I'm going to make an unlistenable episode of podcasting. <laughs> Ancient Greeks used to do secusion. Are you familiar with the word no. secusion? It is, <laughs> I have pictures on my computer I'll show you after, but it's where you take a patient, string them upside down by their feet oh and just shake them. <laughs> I want someone to do that to me. It sounds kind of kind of dope. Sounds kind of fun. It doesn't sound like a bad idea either. No. It seems like, you know, let gravity help. Yeah. Gravity hurt in the first place. Yeah. Let's just turn it around. Exactly. <laughs> um, they would also, again, I'm so sorry about this, take like a pomegranate dipped in vinegar or wine and just shove it in there. I wonder help. if any other kind of fruit would work. Why pomegranate? I guess it's a very yonic fruit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, true. You know, I feel like an orange is just, it's tacky. <laughs> you know, I want a pomegranate in me if I want yeah. to put any fruit up in there. Um, Hippocrates isn't the only dude who thinks of, like, fruit options. At the end of the 13th century, Myrapis described the preparation of 45 different pessaries. The ingredients, according to, uh, one of the ingredients list, the emingog, consisted of things like cumin, ginger, birthwort, the pulp of cocobinth, castor, musk, rue, etc., mixed with wax, suet, or honey. Okay. To make a pessary that, like, sticks in there. Yeah. In the year 150 AD, the first recorded female gynecologist described the ball pessary made of strips of linen, which were filled in the vagina in the case of prolapse. That's kind of one of the early modern-ish examples of, like, what a pessary would look like now. In the 1600s, they started chopping off organs, and just instead of trying to shove them back in, they're like, let's just cut them out. Because um, they're not doing anything anyways. They're not doing not anything useful. Anyway. Yeah. I think a lot of them were just lying when they said that this was successful, because <laughs> I cannot imagine a surgery in the 1600s where they cut out your organs, yeah. resulting in you living. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest liar in the world, according to me, is... <laughs> A woman named Faith Howard, who, this is like in the 1600s, she was a 47-year-old peasant who was hauling coal one day and claims to have suffered a full prolapse of her uterus, at which point she, I'm sorry, this is so fucking disgusting, she grabbed the organ, pulled as hard as possible, and cut it off. The bleeding eventually stopped and she lived for many years. Huh. I don't think that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think she did that. No. (laughs) But I felt like it was relevant to mention in the highlight reel. Can I make make a really corny joke? I'm ready. You don't need to tell the truth if you've got faith. <laughs> uh, I wish you were in the 1600s and you could say that joke. You would have been to her face. Court jester immediately. I think I might have been executed. <laughs> in 1783, Jean Jouville introduced soft rubber pessaries that kind of resemble what we have today. Today, pessaries are generally made from a variety of materials, including silicone, leukite, rubber, or plastic. Silicone is advantageous due to its long half-life, its resistance to autoclaving and repeated cleaning, its non-absorbent properties towards secretions and odors, and its inertness and hypoallergenic nature. However, so this is a lengthy discussion of pessaries, just because I found it interesting, and so I'm making you all listen to me. And it's a nice alternative to surgery. In modern times, the, like, alternate option that people do is, like, they'll just sort of staple the organs back in place. Mm. Obviously, it's, it's, like, less crude than that. Yeah. <laughs> that usually results... You usually need to do it several times in mm. your life because it doesn't stick as well as, you know, like, a physical object just holding it in. Right. So the cons of having a physical object are, you know, you have to clean it, you got to take it out, you got to do whatever. The cons of surgery are that you'd need to keep having some sort of invasive surgery. Mm-hmm. The question remains, then, 
Is there a way where you can get the best of both worlds? A permanent option that you don't have to take out and clean. Mm -hmm. That is what is going to bring us to today. Johnson & Johnson and Ethicon's transvaginal mesh tape. Shit. (laughs) Um, Is this Johnson & Johnson, like, soap or, like, farm company? Pharma company. Aren't they the same thing? No, they're not. It's the pharma company. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was all the same damn thing. I thought Johnson & Johnson was just in charge of... I don't of... think so. I mean, it's a really common last name. <laughs> <laughs> but to have two of them? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're different. I am sure. almost positive they are, in fact, the same thing. Okay. I'm going to trust you. You're well, the one in charge here. I'm sure there's somebody who is listening to this and is screaming <laughs> at their phone. Well, then they have their representation through me, so it's okay. <laughs> I'm glad that we can really... We, we're having a both sides <laughs> debate here. Yeah. Parallel to the use of silicone and similar substance pessaries in the 1900s, there's a great deal of research being done on polypropylene. It's like booming in the 50s. Are you familiar with polypropylene? Like vaguely. It's the like plastic, like when you have a ketchup bottle Mm -hmm. and like the hinge that is the ketchup bottle that sort of opens it. Sure. It's like lightweight, cheap. It's not really used for industrial projects, but it's nice because it's small and durable Mm -hmm. and has a hard time breaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... This research in the 50s is very useful for Johnson & Johnson. Polypropylene is uniquely adept for living hinges because it doesn't break when it's repeatedly bent. I don't know why I needed to read that quote. <laughs> Concurrent to this research, Australian pelvic floor surgeon Peter Petros in 1986 begins legally experimenting with, I don't know, I needed to specify legally because it just sounds illegal, <laughs> is experimenting with different ways of preventing stress urinary incontinence incontinence mm-hmm. which is like that thing that when you get older you, you like, like pee sn- all the time yeah you sneeze and you piss at the same time yeah. it's unfortunate <laughs> so he's looking into how to stop that and pelvic organ prolapse he comes up with prototypes for tension-free vaginal tape i'm unclear on what his prototypes look like but we'll talk about the final result later but what's important to note is that he would test it on dogs for periods of six to 12 weeks before removing it and in those trials it was very successful for what he was like looking for Throughout the 90s, he and his team replicated this on humans with promising but small results. Mm-hmm. Like, it was only like 40 people okay. that got it in like the 90s. The authors wrote that, this is a quote, the authors wrote that 39 patients were completely cured of their stress incontinence and another six reported a considerable improvement of their urinary incontinence, leaking only occasionally. They acknowledged, however, that since the technique was new, no long-term results were available. Because they did it the same way as the dogs, or like six to 12 weeks, and then they had it removed. Um, is this all making sense so far? Yeah. All right, Amazing. Um, so Ethicon capitalized on the work of Peter Petros and his team. Both Proline Mesh and Proline Soft, those are like brand names, were created for the purpose of reinforcing the abdominal wall without regard to the biomechanics or environment of the female pelvis. Meaning most of Ethicon's early research was about like hernias and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I want you to keep in mind that the abdominal wall and like the vaginal cavity are just not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> I know this is maybe like huge for a bio major. Um. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> um, like separate from what Peter Petros was doing, Ethicon was also sort of researching this stuff, mm. not taking into account that vaginas are in fact different than yeah than abs. <laughs> <That> happens. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Honestly, yeah. I get them confused all the time. <laughs> I'm doing a core workout and I got my tug machine <laughs> out. <laughs> so I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so transvaginal tape, which mm. I will be referring as TVT, Gained regulatory approval in Europe in 1999 and was cleared uh, by the FDA on January of 1998. Uh, On on July of 1998, it was approved to be in Australia. I don't know why I wrote all three of those down. 
Good to know. Late Maybe 90s. there's some Australians listening. They want to know. You know, if the Australians are listening, boy, are they going to be re- well rewarded <laughs> because there's a lot that happens in Australia. Ooh. Um, in 1998, these things hit the market, and they do incredibly. There's only one kind of competitor at this point for this particular kind of product, which is Boston Scientific. But of note, the materials used to make each different product are, like, way different. So Johnson & Johnson is making fucking bank putting this on the market because it's, like, a minimally invasive way to cure your stress urinary incontinence um, or pelvic organ prolapse. Again, I want to really note that the trials that have been conducted so far are so fucking small. Yeah. <laughs> um, so throughout the early 2000s, we get a bunch of Johnson & Johnson products. We got TVTO, TVTA, Gynamesh, Proline, Prolift, a bunch of different shit that... <laughs> if I went through the problems with each one of them individually, this podcast would be eight hours long. <laughs> it's just notable that there's a number of them, and I'll just keep referring to all of them as a collective, as mesh or transvaginal mesh, just for your reference and if you do want to know what it's sort of the final product was this is from a <laughs> I guess I'm just going to reveal it now there was a court case in Australia uh, for because these spoiler alert these products go horribly wrong yeah makes sense the decision in Australia for like a class, class action lawsuit was 1,500 pages long. Oh, my God. But you read all of that, obviously. I did not read all of that, actually. <laughs> I read all um, 120 pages of the California one. Oh, my God. I only got... I, I don't even know how much I got through of the Australian one, but it was incredibly interesting. Justice Anna Katzman is, is a gender hero. Wow. <laughs> we love her. She is... She girl-bossed her way through that, those 1,500 fucking pages. It is available online, and I will have it linked in the description. So... The TVT system, the transvaginal tape system, is a sterile single patient use device made up of one piece of undyed or blue proline in the form of a tape covered by plastic sheath uh, and held between two curved stainless steel needles. If you just picture what a uterus looks like, it just kind of looks like yeah, a uterus, yeah, yeah. but with like mesh at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like hooks on to your, I think, and your leg bones or some shit like that. I don't know. It says in here somewhere, but I'm stupid. <laughs> um, so if you walk into a doctor's office in the early 2000s or later mm-hmm. and you complain of stress urinary incontinence, a couple of things will happen. First off, they will more than likely have a brochure that is from Johnson & Johnson advertising this product mm-hmm. with, for example, Olympian Bonnie Blair on it, waving and saying, this helped me, <laughs> as it does. Um, if you're a doctor and you're trying to look up research for the field of curing stress urinary incontinence, you will likely see, and if you don't have time to read the whole fucking article, you'll see an abstract that is like, this is perfect, like nothing wrong with it. It's maybe got like a couple risks as <laughs> any surgery would. Which is perfect. Which is perfect. It would be weird if we didn't see that. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of the way that they go in the yeah. lawsuits. They're like, it's weird for surgeries to not go wrong. <laughs> so why are you all complaining? <laughs> If you're at like a conference, like a gynecology conference, you will more than likely find in your program that there's a J&J mesh presentation pitched by like fairly reputable people. They might even take you out for a fucking meal. And this is not stuff that I'm making up as a theoretical. I know it kind of sounds like it, but all of this appears in the court documents that we'll talk Mm -hmm. about later. So it's just important to know that they go through like a media marketing frenzy for this shit. Because it is, it sounds, like this dope-ass way to cure your organs falling into your vagina. Yes. (laughs) I personally would be delighted if I heard about this. Um, Is this something that needs to be, like, surgically, like a doctor needs to put this in you? A doctor does need to put it in you. It takes about 30 minutes, and it's performed using keyhole surgery. Okay. So, like, again, so minimally invasive, Mm -hmm. you could just go home that day, you know? Yeah. 
and just, you know, piss freely. (laughs) (laughs) So even if you, let's say you're a doctor, you really want to know how these work. You take the next step, you get the instructions for use. This is what you'll typically find on it between 1998 and 2015. It will talk about transitory local irritation at the wound site and transitory foreign body response that can occur. Can you speak on foreign body response? Do you sort of know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You can reject your baby if your baby has a different blood type than you. Wait, really? Yeah. There's like issues with that. So obviously the blood type that your child has can be like, you know how there's like universal donors and universal receivers? Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is like kind of a tangent. No, I'm I'm Um, here for it. (laughs) But so if you are not able to receive the blood type of your child and there's any kind of like cross body like fluids being exchanged you can like have a hemorrhage and like have a whole issue wow is that a common thing um i don't know maybe that's crazy (laughs) yeah i've literally never thought of that before yeah so when you have an object in your body or like a child like a child (laughs) in this case i was talking about mesh but you know what kids do um like you said your body rejects it so if you're a doctor you're reading the instructions for use it say that that might happen. There's no mention of pain, no mention of chronic pain. There's only transient leg pain lasting 24 to 48 hours and can usually be managed with mild and analgesics. All right, I can't read. <laughs> so that is useful to know that even if you're like really going after it as a doctor, that's kind of the most you're going to hear about. And I mm-hmm. feel like I'm really telegraphing here that it is in fact way more than that. <laughs> that will happen to you. Um, so take a break from that. Let's talk about a woman. <laughs> named Dr. Meng Chen. Between at least 2008 and 2012, she worked as the Associate Medical Director of Worldwide Consumer Quality for Ethicon. Good for her. She really is girl bossing. Yeah. This is from the Northern California record in 2019. Chen said her job was in part to spot patterns of developing complaints. One such report in 2007, exhibited by Osborne, recalled a woman who was six weeks after implantation of a sling device, and she experienced erosion of the device. At 10 weeks, her husband reportedly experienced a cut penis during intercourse. Oh. That's not what you want to <laughs> no. happen. Um, in 2008, in response to a negative FDA report about mesh, she noted the emphasis placed by the FDA on the importance of informed preoperative consent and observed that one of the paths for better preoperative consent is to provide an updated instructions for use to the operating physicians that reflect the current knowledge of the manufacturers on the potential adverse reactions. Meaning, as early as 2008, she was like, there's more that we know that the consumers right. will not know, um, i.e. getting a cut penis during yeah. having sex. That is so brutal. Yeah. So she knows about this. She's doing her best to be like, hey, um, there's a problem here. Uh, nothing changes, obviously. As time goes on, she has more and more complaints that are rolled into her, which I do not envy her job. Imagine being <laughs> a customer quality assurance for anything, let yeah. alone a Johnson & Johnson product. That's brutal. Uh, I can't imagine who, you know. So she's getting more and more complaints. In 2009, she wrote in an email, pardon me again, from what I see each day, these patient experiences are not transitory at all. Okay. <laughs> Saying pardon me again is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so she continues through the year 2012 documenting and fucking begging Johnson & Johnson to update information in their instructions for use to no avail. Unfortunately, her emails from the early 2000s were in fact the canary in the coal mine. The rest of the episode will deal with the incredible amount of litigation that arises from these mesh products. Spoiler alert, they suck. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is really going to surprise the listeners. <laughs> I thought this was going to go perfectly. This was like the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I just wanted to, you know, mess around and tell you about this <laughs> dope-ass device. So because of the specific materials being used in these devices and the specific pore size, they can cause an incredible amount of problems for a number of reasons. First, they have a tendency in like a pretty significant amount of people to shrink or just like straight up crack. Oh. And if you have a device holding up your organs that starts shrinking and getting out of place, your organs will also get out of place. Mm-hmm. And your body will start treating it like a foreign object and its attempt to, I don't know, fucking fix it. It will just cause more problems on purpose. Mm-hmm. What happens quite often is that it, your body will scar over the mesh, making it literally impossible to remove. Mm, that's not good. It's not good. <laughs> I don't want that in me for the rest of my life. No. Um, because it tends to shrink, it can put your organs slightly out of place, like I said. It can also just have just enough disfigurement or exposure that penetrative, penetrative sex will result in the object being inserted to literally be caught on the mesh. Oh my god. So that when the dude was like, my penis got cut, it was because of literally the mesh. Yeah. Um... So, from a write-up from The Guardian, documents submitted to the court show Johnson Johnson staff had raised concerns about the spinning of data and emails. This is the most disgusting fucking thing I've heard in my entire life. Male executives are seen bantering about a suggestion that sex with an earlier patient with mesh complications could be like, quote, screwing a wire brush. Okay, no. That's so <laughs> funny, guys. Yeah. Keep it up. Men, uh, I mean this so genuinely, men should never be allowed to do comedy ever again. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree with that. Sorry to all the men who've been on this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the one man. <laughs> and that man is Karsten. Yeah, it's okay. He's um, forgiven. You know, you, you stick to YouTube, buddy. <laughs> no more comedy. So I am just baffled that you would say that to a work colleague over yeah. work emails. I don't even tell people my last name over work emails. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. Uh, I just like to re- remain a mystery. Yeah. I've been thinking about respelling my name and my signature every day. It's sort of like Mandela effect my coworkers. <laughs> no, I love that for you. I hope you do. <laughs> Thank you. So let me know how it goes. Because once again, only women should do comedy. <laughs> um, so I'm now going to quote extensively from the decision made by the Honorable Eddie Sturgeon in the January of 2020 Johnson & Johnson class action lawsuit case in California. This is going to talk about some of the things that go wrong. Dr. Margulis has treated women with mesh complications suffering dyspareunia. Do you know what that is? That's just pain during sex. Okay. To the point where they cannot engage with intercourse with their partner. It's caused their partner to leave and essentially ruin their life of intimacy. This is all quoted from Dr. Margulis. He's treated women suffering urinary dysfunction caused by the mesh to the point where they're forced to intermittently self-catheterize throughout the day in order to empty their bladder. They have to stay close to the bathroom at all times, won't go out to social events for fear that they're going to leak all over the place and it affects their work. Self-cath... Like, put something... Like, put mm-hmm. a tube mm-hmm. themselves? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Hard fucking no. He also treated women with pain caused by the mesh that's oftentimes chronic, permanent, irreversible, and severe, to the point where they end up in wheelchairs and suffer pain that may be worse with activity, but also can be present even at rest oh my god it's just like a living fucking nightmare for like a not insignificant portion of people with this because for some Mm. i should mention it's fine yeah you know your body accepts it and it's like well right my uterus is no longer sticking out of me yeah (laughs) that is dope as hell Dr. Karen, Johnson & Johnson's medical expert, further corroborated this testimony and saying that people have to redefine their personal health and identity to transition to a new normal that includes being unable to have sex or uh, ever again without feeling pain, Mm -hmm. which is so 
tragic. Yeah. So this is a comedy podcast. I must once again mention, are we having laughs today? <laughs> the line between comedy and tragedy, you know, they say it's like a thin line, right? <laughs> I think they say like time is the line between comedy oh. and tragedy. Not that the line is necessarily thin. Well, this isn't coming out for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if we just record it, it'll get funnier. Yeah. You know what? Look for this episode in 2023. <laughs> It'll be really funny then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so fucking funny. Based on it, this is a quote once again from the California decision. Based on his review of the literature, Dr. Rosenweig testified about the significant rates of urinary dysfunction resulting from the mesh at rates of approximately 20 to 60% chance of walking away with a different urinary problem than they came in with. Mm. I don't like those odds. Yeah. 20 to 60 should never be. Um, the odds of something going wrong, mm-hmm. methinks. But I'm not a doctor, you know. As as a biology major, I feel like you know. Quote me if I'm a little wrong. I would. The... I would. My quote is that you are correct. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you can apply that to anything you've ever said. You are correct. I'm going to use that, and it's going to really come back for you. That's okay. <laughs> Once again, you will be canceled at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Jane Jay's expert witness, Dr. Peter Rosenblatt, agreed, which. Girl, you work for J&J. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't agree. <laughs> agree that the rates are as high as 21.3% for new onset urge symptoms after the implantation. Unlike other implants, Dr. Margulis testified about the fundamental difficulty of mesh removal, likening it to removing rebar from the concrete while trying to do as little damage as possible to the sidewalk. And he said, quote, the essential irreversibility of the mesh-related complications... Oh, he talked about the essential irreversibility of the mesh-related complications, even sometimes after the removal surgeries. Mm-hmm. So once you get it in, again, it's like fucking impossible to get out. Right. The certain foreign body responses have occurred, and there's the scarring and whatever. Tee-hee-hee. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also, you know what? There's just more quotes. I have to skip these quotes. It's just so many quotes where he's like, <laughs> they were in pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just really want to get across the scope that like it's so many people who are in an incredible amount of pain. This is a, a 2014 write-up of the trial by Jane Aker. Um, she talks about a specific witness who was called. During a meeting with Dr. Gretchen Burkett, Joanne, or Joan Husky was shown a stress urinary incontinence treatment brochure that featured the story of U.S. speed skater Bonnie Blair from a nearby town of Illinois. Husky said that she didn't consider herself an athlete to that extent, but seeing the endorsement spoke directly to her because she was like pretty athletic. Mm-hmm. Quote, I read her story because that impressed me so much. She was an athlete and was dealing with the same thing and had this done and it was successful. Husky said she relied on the endorsement. Um, and you know what? I'm kind of with her. If I see somebody I like right. on a brochure, I'm going to be like, hell yeah. Yeah. When asked if she was told that there was a problem, the device could easily be removed, Husky responded with, quote, it was easily treated if there was a problem. Like, that's what she was told. Mm -hmm. Did you expect the TVT device to cause pelvic pain? No. Did you expect the TVT device to cause levator spasms, which is um, spasms that make your ass hurt? Mm. (laughs) Uh, The bad kind of spasm. Yeah. There's not many spasms of the ass that are good. (laughs) Yeah. That's just my personal... No, I think I would agree with that. ...uninformed opinion that ass spasms are not... <laughs> they're not it. Not necessarily what we want, yeah, no. Uh, she said no. Did you ever expect that it would be subject to degradation? No. That it would rope or curl? No. Are you in pain as you sit here extremely? Mm. So... That is so sad. <laughs> These devices were implanted in more than 53,000 Californian patients that mm. we know of. Because of the aforementioned scarring, they often need multiple surgeries to have them removed. 
Quote, consumers like Colleen Perry, Joe Husky, and the nearly 1,000 California women treated by Dr. Margulis alone have therefore suffered a harm that literally cannot be undone. Yeah. That is from the court document. That's a lot of people. That is a ton of people. And these again, I need to say, are worldwide. Yeah. I hope that with these few examples, I can really get across the scale of the problem, that it's literally impossible mm-hmm. to, first of all, determine how many of these are inside of people as we speak. Right. Um, and uh, there was a report obtained by The Guardian from the National Health Service, which is like the UK, mm-hmm. I don't know, they do health, <laughs> saying what this is, what this is showing is significant. Very high rates of removals, which are only likely to get worse. It suggests that one in 15 women will need a removal at some point. Wow. Uh, and those numbers are not looking great. That's not, like, confirmed that's exactly what it is. Right. But that was according to, like, an NHS report obtained by The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Thank you, The Guardian. <laughs> but also, I really want to talk about the one in 15 figure because this is implanted in patients that are aging, right? Mm. And so... Anecdotally online, I have seen that there are patients who are just like old and in pain and are like, I don't want fucking invasive surgery. So they like, you know. Just deal with it. Deal with it. Or, you know, they die before the class action lawsuit Mm. goes anywhere. So it is possible that the one in 15 figure is not Mm -hmm. correct. Yeah. Which is, I'll say it, evil. Yeah. Um, So fucking evil. Could this possibly get worse, BB? Oh, absolutely. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) You you have an ear for podcasting because it's about to get worse. Johnson & Johnson absolutely knew that this would happen the mm-hmm. entire time they were marketing this. Wow. And as early as 1992, they knew this was going to happen. Wow. It is so impressive. Science is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so since at least 1992, they knew that the polypropylene material... Uh, that comprises its proline and proline soft meshes can degrade after implantation. In 1992, ethicon scientists investigated proline sutures that had been implanted in dog hearts for seven years and concluded that the surface cracking on the explanted structures was due to degradation of the polypropylene material in vivo. Did you understand any of those words? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Because <laughs> I read it and I went, I don't, I wrote this down, but <laughs> I'm just sort of, like my brain is on one track at this point and my mouth is just vibing. No, oh, that's okay. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you have any questions so far? I feel like I need to pause and ask. How are um, we doing? Yeah, one question. Yes. Okay, so IUDs. I'm just I'm imagining this thing as just like a larger, stronger IUD. It's basically what I'm... Yeah, I would say from my... Actually, and I have no chemicals coming out of it. I have no understanding of uteruses. Let me okay. start there. Okay. I just, I throw in a diva cup and I hope for the best. <laughs> I love that for you. So as far as I'm aware, it's not inside of the uterus. It's like outside of the uterus oh, holding it up. Okay, okay, okay. That was a really hard pee. <laughs> I think the shape is sort of like IUD-ish. Okay. Um, and it's, but not up there. It's not up there, no. Okay. It's like around there. Okay. Um, to sort of hold up whatever organs causing you sure. an issue. I see. So that's why it can like, be- it's like on the outside of the uterus, whenever it's holding up the right. uterus, it becomes part of it. Right, issue. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like if it was inside, I mean, this is based off of no scientific <laughs> expertise, but I feel like what it, you just, can't your uterine wall just like unattach itself and shoot out of you. Isn't that what happens once a month? Like during your period? Yeah. Not the entire uterine wall, mm. but you know. You know a good what? chunk of it. Yeah, once again, I, on I, I throw in the diva cup and I hope for the best. Yeah. Which is uh, also me saying I'm micro-influencing my audience into using a diva cup. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten many people so far. Yeah. And I will continue to get them. 
So, no, it is not like an IUD. Okay. To my knowledge. It's more like a, God, I don't know. Uh, like a diva cup. Like, honestly. Reversed? <laughs> it's a diva cup that sticks out of you? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's more like a, like a hammock. I would say okay. a hammock that's in your organs. Love that. I love hammocking. Who doesn't love hammocking? <laughs> I don't love this, though. I'm going to send my small, small intestine on vacation. <laughs> hammocking in my body. Based on internal company studies, Ethicon scientists designated corporate representative Thomas Barbolt um, he testified on behalf of the company that Ethicon knew since 1992 that the surface cracking was blah, blah, blah. Importantly, J&J knew of the surface degradation six years before the 1998 launch of their first TVT product, but nevertheless claimed from 1998 to the present that its polypropylene mesh is, quote, subject to degradation or weakening by the action of tissue enzymes. I'm sorry, they said it's not that. <laughs> okay. Which it, they absolutely knew that it is. Yeah. Um, so Love to lie. <laughs> oh, to lie. Oh, to just not put information in instructions for use. <laughs> Despite that knowledge in the year 2000, two years after the TVT launch, they actively chose to conceal the fact that TVT mesh could cause complications so serious as to necessitate removal. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is so fucking funny. J&J marketing personnel made the decision not to publicize or share information with, tw- with customers regarding techniques for TVT mesh removal because they believed it would be bad for business. Gender trader, Ethicon marketing director, gender trader is my thing, not the quote from the. Oh, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Gender trader and Ethicon marketing director, <laughs> Laura Angelini, argued that this is over like a private email quote if we in any way publish information about the potential need for removal we start giving reason to believe that the explant of tbt may be needed in some circumstances frankly i do not want to dig my own grave (laughs) (laughs) they really caught her in 4k they caught her in more 4k later consistent with her concerns j and j did not include the risk of potential need for removal of the pelvic mesh in its ifus until 2015 which is sort of like damage done damage done girly Later in 2005, Miss Angelini again willfully hid harmful information about the company's devices, instructing an Ethicon marketing employee to remove um, dyspareunia, the sexual pain mm-hmm. thing. I don't know how to say it, and I should have Googled how to say it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just vibing. So she instructed this employee to remove, the, to remove that data from the abstract of a presentation about ProLift because including that information, quote, in all caps, is going to kill us. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, screw the customers. <laughs> screw the customers. Well, yeah. <laughs> the fact that she said it so boldly yeah. is so funny. That she's yeah. like, we know about this. Don't put it in the thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's bad for business. Mm-hmm. Um, the employee responded to Miss Angelini that she would remove the content from the abstract language. Um, I would be so humiliated in court if any of my work emails made it into the stand, let alone emails that are just so brazen yeah. in their disregard for human life. I hope to never email with such a disregard for human life. I don't think you will. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you know what? You never know. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fucking crazy. And also hilarious. Laura Angelini, you are a gender traitor. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry that it was your job, but you had a shitty job. You should have quit. They also published a paper in 2011 that was sponsored by Johnson & Johnson and Ethicon. That was like, there are no risks uh-huh. <laughs> to transvaginal mesh. Dr. Stephen McLean, an expert for J&J, testified that he found no evidence of degradation when he used a novel cleaning method designed to strip the cracked layer away from the mesh. So, like, he found a new scientific mm-hmm. way of checking if they're cracking. The court notes that this novel method was created by Dr. Shelby Thames, who developed it as a paid litigation expert defending J&J involving pelvic mesh. Mm. So they got somebody who was paid to literally go sit in court and testify how great Johnson & Johnson is. She just invented, or he, I don't know. Sorry, Shelby Thames, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They just invented this way 
to check if these are going wrong. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that in the way this person decided to check, we couldn't find any degradation. Right. That's crazy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is continuing Justice Anna Katzman 1,500-page decision in Australia. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I have extensive quotes from that. After Prolift was launched, a confidential PowerPoint presentation prepared by Ethicon researchers, apparently for internal use, acknowledged that, quote, today's vaginal implants do not consider the patient's biomechanical needs, and recognized that, quote, unmet biomechanics led to, quote, misfunction, pain, and shrinkage, which in turn leads to a, quote, handicapped patient. Ethicon began work on the design of a mesh adapted to the pelvic floor, but nothing eventually came out of it, and the project was abandoned in 2011. <laughs> also, the female genital area is more sensitive than the abdominal wall. That's referencing before mm. how they simply did not. Right, we're not distinguishing the two. Mm-hmm. The environmental conditions are simply not the same. As two of Ethicon's medical directors put it in a 2003 internal presentation, there is, quote, high risk of infection since the vagina is a septic cavity. Okay. So it's like... They did have the common sense to, in fact, figure that one out mm-hmm. and just chose not to. And then in 2011, yeah. they were like, we tried, boys. <laughs> uh, let's just pack it up. I'm too lazy. I want to go home and catch the, the game. <laughs> um, which is it's so brave that men continue to work. <laughs> <laughs> brave in a bad way, I would say, though. There's good brave. That's bad brave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's... it's <laughs> In fact, very bad brave. I I am so sick of men. (laughs) So, again, they neglected to differentiate the physiological forces at work. Quote, although, this is again from Katzman, quote, although the Ethicon meshes were intended for permanent implantation and indicated for a wide use in for use in a wide range of patients, before they were available for sale, none of the Ethicon devices were subjected to subjected to a comparative trial, let alone a randomized controlled trial, to assess its relative safety and efficacy in comparison to other forms of surgical repair. Nor did Ethicon conduct a trial in large enough population group representative of all the women for whom the device was indicated and for a sufficient period of time to enable reliable conclusions to be drawn about its long-term safety or efficacy. Email correspondence revealed that even JJM's medical director, no less, expressed concern that the TVT had been launched without enough clinical data to justify the rollout. Again, I just want to mention all this as part of the bigger story that they knew multiple people were saying it, and they kept going anyway. And they left, like, such an obvious trail. Yeah! (laughs) At least be good at crime. Yeah! I just, I feel like I would say those th- kind of things in person. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I, at least a phone call. At least a phone Not call. Not emails. Y- emails yeah. are, I mean, present a whole presentation? <laughs> like, oh my God. How, like when you're making the transitions and that didn't occur to you? <laughs> when you're on Prezi? <laughs> Did you think that this was a bad idea? Yeah, apparently not. I come up with many ideas whenever I'm on Google Slides. Um... And yeah, it is, it's baffling. Here's a few highlights of Johnson & Johnson's attempt to like, <laughs> to make their own case. Uh-huh. So they get a couple of different doctors to testify on their behalf. Um, Jane J. Witness Dr. Rosenblatt testified that he has, quote, never heard that a chronic foreign body reaction would lead to exposure or shrinkage. This contradicts at least three Ethicon medical directors who wrote that, quote, the mesh includes an acute and foreign body reaction, which leads to both exposure and shrinkage. Mm-hmm. So cool of him. Um, imagine perjuring yourself in court for transvaginal mesh. Pick a better one, man. <laughs> <laughs> the examination of these defense expert witnesses also reveals conflicts of interest that could bias their opinion of the mesh dangers. 
They picked uh, someone named Dr. Nager, who is a former preceptor for Ethicon and trained other doctors to implant the TBT. He alone implanted between 800 to 1600 slings over the course of his career. Pick a better career, man. <laughs> and taught and encouraged hundreds of other doctors to use the mesh devices. As president of the American Urogynecologic, oh God, Urogynecologic, oh, I got it right the first time, Society from 2013 to 2014, he formed the mid Sling Task Force, quote, to defend the mesh sling. No, what a shitty task force. Not that task force. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't want to be on that task force. It's so shitty. Um, they also did, they formed this task force to produce a document that would help the members, including doctors and mesh manufacturers, quote, to use this position statement at legal proceedings uh, when they were sued for mesh litigation. He told Johnson & Johnson specifically that, quote, I'm trying to help you guys defend the best procedure ever developed for stress urinary incontinence. He even told the membership that, quote, you're going to have to pry the mid sling from my cold dead hands. <laughs> and we will. And we will, sir. <laughs> because I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> for legal reasons. Since that was really a joke, I promise. <laughs> Another gender trader, Dr. Eilber, has been a paid consultant for mesh manufacturers for over 16 years, including for AMS, the competitor Boston Scientific that we talked about earlier, and Coloplast. She also served as a litigation expert witness for the Boston Scientific in 20 to 25 cases in just the past three or four years alone. Mm. Because also, I feel like I should mention, it's not just like one or two class action lawsuits. There's also right. like a shit ton of individual ones that are still right. like happening. Dr. Eilbler has implanted, quote, thousands oh of mesh slings and POP mesh devices over the course of her career. Because of her professional investment in defending the sling, the sling she has authored medical legal studies that tried but failed. This is all still part of the court document. That's not me saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that tried but failed to prove the mesh victims' negative thought patterns were related to their intention to sue the mesh manufacturers. She's saying, it's in your head, girls. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that she authored a paper saying that negative thoughts would lead you to suing a mesh manufacturer for ruining your, li- oh ruining your life. She was also paid to sit on the advisory board for Boston Scientific, where she would, quote, discuss how to deal with the very bad publicity surrounding mesh. Dr. Albert further admitted that she has, quote, been very active in trying to deal with the bad publicity surrounding mesh. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why, man? And when J&J wanted to recruit a California doctor to author a letter against the instant lawsuit, Dr. Eilber was one of the five doctors to which the company reached out. Mm-hmm. Separate from that, they've got a Dr. Rosenblatt, which before he testified that he's never heard of a chronic body, <laughs> foreign body reaction, he has made somewhere in the range of $2.2 million to $5.5 million from mesh manufacturers, wow. inclusive of his compensation as a paid litigation expert. Wow. So when asking earlier, why would you decide to defend this to the grave it's because you can make a lot of money just Mm -hmm. like being paid to sit in court and talk about how good these things are Mm -hmm. like doctors will i mean several experts can make some bank doing that which makes me sad that i'm not an expert in anything (laughs) useful because i want to make money doing that no you can totally i mean they're making stuff up anyways you can like make your own that is so true (laughs) do you think i could like make a fake webmd profile just like add stuff to your linkedin I'm putting MD on my LinkedIn and fucking nobody can yeah. stop me. <laughs> Literally, who's going to stop you? L- literally nobody. Yeah. <laughs> their case law argument, their like main defense, their line of defense during the California trial at least, mm-hmm. um, has to do with a previous court case from this like dental manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Here's what I basically know of the case. And I think I... I don't think the details I'm about to say are right, but I know the argument is right. (laughs) And I want to make that so clear because I tried getting the details right, but I don't think they're right. 
Who so, knows about teeth? They have their whole own special school. Yeah, literally. I'm like, yeah. I didn't go to school for that. <laughs> you got your MD. It's different from mm-hmm. DDS. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate that. <laughs> there was this company, Dentsply, that was being sued because they had made a product. And I think this product is supposed to like clean teeth before surgery. But again, like that's sort of what I'm shaking. I don't really know what the product does. Mm-hmm. And the main court case was that a bunch of people who were using this product were like, our patients are getting infected, like mm. mouth infections, after we use this specific product. <laughs> oh my god. The thing is, this thing, dentists were just like hooking it up to tap water and shooting tap water mm. through it, which is not sterile, right. which is why people were getting infected. Yeah. And so the court case was like, y'all dentists are fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Dentsply's fault that right. you didn't know that tap water isn't sterile. Yeah. That's why it's infected. Johnson & Johnson similarly is like, well, doctors should know about mm-hmm. the risks. <laughs> So if they don't know, that's their own damn fault. Yeah. <laughs> this falls apart so quickly. Uh-huh. Because they're like, first of all, you guys are the only ones who are doing research on this. Yeah. And you're not <laughs> disclosing it. Yeah. Like, this specific kind of product is not well known mm-hmm. in the gynecology world. Or it's, I guess it's well known. It's not well researched. Sure. And there is really no standardized way of, like, inserting one into a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so their stupid little court case falls apart. They do yeah. not do very well in this California trial, I will say. So here is at least the California punishment. They have to pay a penalty amount of $343,993,750, reflecting a penalty of $1,250 for each, like, violation, of which they had $121,844. And this amount represents less than 1% of J&J's $70.4 billion total net worth. Um... Oh my god. So 350 million about yeah for a class action lawsuit of all those Californians right. is sort of peanuts mm-hmm. in my onion mm-hmm. <laughs> in my humble onion. And so I they have been paying money out the nose for a lot of these lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Like I think there was a figure, please don't quote me on this, but somewhere that said it was totaling about 8 billion. Guys, uh, Christian said that (laughs) the total is eight billion. By the way, you said earlier that you will stand by me and say that anything I say is right, and I yeah, I'm quoting you. I'm saying you're right. (laughs) Um, so they're paying close to what I assume is eight billion, at least in the U.S. I think for settlements involving this mesh mm-hmm. what is unfortunate is that a lot of people do die before they get to see this money mm-hmm. because these cor- these trials last quite a long time yeah and they die in pain yeah comedy podcast and get buried with the stupid thing inside them i bet yeah because you can't really yeah. take it out yeah and what's the funeral director gonna do <laughs> they're gonna do like post death surgery <laughs> i hope not god i hope not <laughs> i i hope to get post-death cosmetic surgery <laughs> I hope when I'm done, they get me a BBL. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I want to look sickening in the, in the casket. <laughs> Just like raised above. <laughs> if I'm not the sexiest person at my funeral plot, I don't know what the point yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so right. I have to be the sexiest person for grave robbers. <laughs> I want them to see me and be like, what a baddie. Yeah. And be like, mm, maybe we won't take her. Yeah. She deserves to rest in peace. <laughs> so... All of those lawsuits aside, they were continuing to have this on the market until at least 2015. By my knowledge, some of these are, in fact, still on the market. Mm -hmm. You still can get this. You can get it Mm -hmm. at your local Johnson & Johnson store. (laughs) Um, And 
they continue to be sued for it. They continue to... It's cheaper, literally at this point, to just keep paying out the settlements than mm-hmm. to lose the money that you get for putting these things into people in the first place. Right. Because they cost a pretty fucking penny wow. to put in. Speaking of the fact that they cost a pretty penny, you want to hear something else horrible? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> there is a doctor and a marketing major in Florida mm-hmm. who were arrested for making a kickback scheme involving like Johnson and Johnson vaginal mesh patients meaning this uh, their scheme right was this guy was a doctor a gynecologist of some kind and the marketing dude would like refer patients to the doctor um, who had transvaginal mesh of any sort whether it was going well or not well Mm -hmm. and the doctor would immediately recommend to have it removed Mm -hmm. because a lot of these people are part of the class action lawsuits and then would get paid out the nose for the settlements which then goes into the doctor's pocket through a court process that I literally don't understand I don't understand money but I know that that's what happens mm-hmm. right like insurance something something the doctor makes more money when these things go to law to court yeah um so if he can get his hands involved in the process in any way he gets a major payout he would pay the marketing dude to refer patients to himself mm-hmm. because he was making money right. out the nose on yeah. it so what the hell is his name Dr. Walker um stupid name um he also killed somebody giving them a BBL oh, in 2021. Wait, actually? I'm not joking. Oh. Yeah. Um, wow. Do you, do you want to know how or do you not want to know yeah, how? Yeah, no, I want to know how. The way a BBL works, at least in the beginning, is that there's a long, thin metal rod that's like inserted into your abdomen. Really? Mm-hmm. And they shake it around to sort of like get the fat out and to like suck it up. Which I believe then they stick into your ass, right? That's like how BBL Whoa, works. I, I, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I believe it. If something sort of goes wrong... So, obviously, the goal is to get the fat in the front, right? Uh-huh. If something goes wrong, they might puncture, like, muscle, which is yeah. a problem. Yeah. Um, this guy was... This is a quote from an article. Uh, what fucking article was this? Um, I didn't write it down. I just wrote, quote from article. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Dr. Walker is not capable of performing liposuction procedures in a matter that is correct or safe. The amount of severity of the patient's injuries indicate that this was not a result of a single mistake or accident and can only be explained as either recklessness or incompetence. He punctured so many holes in her organs that she just like bled out. Does and he still have his license? Nope, he oh, lost okay. it after that. Okay, good. But this was in the middle of him being sued for the fraudulent <laughs> stuff with the transvaginal mesh. She also killed someone giving them a BBL. Wow. Um, in what is, in my opinion, just a completely gruesome way to die. Mm-hmm. So fuck this guy. <laughs> fuck everything he's about. She didn't even get to look hot before she died. No. <laughs> uh, that's so evil. I hope he finishes this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You know what? I'm here for it. <laughs> um, so fuck this guy. Fuck everything he's about. And I feel comfortable saying that on a podcast. Yeah. So, comedy podcast. Woohoo. <laughs> I want to quote, uh, this is has very little to do with the podcast, but I just want to really emphasize Justice Anna Katzman's dedication to her craft. Mm-hmm. In her 1,500-page thing, she had written at one point that, quote, the debate in this case turned to the appropriate pore size, which has to be exhausting in court to listen mm-hmm. to pore size all day, including the classification of pore sizes and the concept of bridging fibrosis. Professor Parviz Amid, in his seminal article, Classification of Biomaterials and Their Related Complications in Abdominal Wall her- Hernia Surgery, published in the 1997 journal Hernia, <laughs> and then she like, kept going from there. What a sleek name for a journal. What a sleek name for a journal. What a funny journal article. <laughs> um, so... Anyways, I commend Justice Anna Katzman, who really was stuck, stuck up for mm-hmm. Australian patients who had this fucking thing. 
And I commend every single patient who has ever had the dis- displeasure of having mm-hmm. one of these TVT mesh things inserted into them. And that is kind of the end of the of the papers I had in front of me. Yeah. Um, baby, how are you doing emotionally? Where I just really want to know where this is going to end up. Is it still like these things are still going? Like yeah. there's no... I mean, they're still on the market. Oh my God. At least Gynamesh is. I can't yeah. speak if every single one's on the market, but mm-hmm. I looked up an ad for Gynamesh. Yeah. And um, it was up. <laughs> and it was up. Yeah, it was not down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, Fuck Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. I might do an episode in the future. They have like a different, completely unrelated thing. You know what? I'm spoiling my own podcast. Yeah, no. Um, It's a little teaser. It's a little teaser. Yeah. Yeah. There might be another Johnson and Johnson episode. It has nothing to do with their vaccine, though. Uh, Okay. It's not that. Could probably make an episode about that. They can't even make a good vaccine and like, hey. (laughs) Couldn't make it up with them. Um, how are you doing emotionally? I must ask. I'm, I'm good. No, I'm, I mean, I'm, I feel bad. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not good. I'm sad. I, in fact, loved hearing about all that. That was yeah. so fun. <laughs> no, it was really interesting. Yeah. Glad to know about that. Yeah. yeah. I will definitely never be getting this thing. Hopefully I, you know, don't have any kind of prolapsing. Mm. Um, but, and hopefully if that does ever happen to me at that point, these things will no, no longer be on the market. God, I hope so. But now I know. It really reminds me of like the lengthy history of devices that were meant to help like mostly women mm-hmm. uh, that are just made by dudes who don't give a shit and want to make right. money. Like yeah. I think of thalidomide or thalidomide. How do you say that? I don't know what that is. Oh my God. I have a story for you. <laughs> um, or the Dalkin shield. Do you know what the Dalkin no. shield is? It's like an IUD that looked like a fucking spider. That was oh. so horrific. Yeah. Um, or the husband stitch. Are we familiar? I'm really, as a bio major, you were learning so much on this podcast. After you give birth, if you have like an episiotomy, where just where like they. Oh, where there's the tear between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they, you know, suture it back up, sometimes they'll put in a husband stitch, mm. as in like an extra stitch to make it a little extra tight. No. Mm, no, no, no. It's not good. It's not, not good. Um, so to me, when I think of this TVT mesh sling thing, I add it to my internal Rolodex of products designed for people that uh were designed sexistly yeah (laughs) my humble onion yeah no you're so right yeah this is why we need more women in stem (laughs) this is why i'm here literally ladies if you're listening come join me literally yeah Yeah. abolish organic chemistry but like (laughs) everything else is good i promise (laughs) so um you look to be in stem as a field yeah well I kind of interesting. I'm also a legal studies minor, so Ooh. I'm looking at going into the like intersection of biology and law. <gasps> so some kind of using my so like kind of very relevant to this, using my like bio background expertise to like advocate for I mean mostly like conservation environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, public health stuff is also so important. Um yeah. That is so cool. You are one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I mean, I haven't done it yet. I'm just at school, but you I know, know. But you dream of it. And you yeah. know what I dream of? Doing a fucking podcast. <laughs> I love that for you. I love that for me. I also had a dream of podcasting. Do you know how many podcasts I listen to? I how love many? listening to podcasts. So many. Uh, you like enough podcasts? That I had Name the... three. <laughs> oh, easily. Like enough that I had the like Spotify wrapped for like podcasts, you know? Ooh, I didn't even have that. <laughs> I think you have to listen to at least five to like um, get it because they need to rank them, you know? 
I see. But I had so much Johnny Cash on my Spotify wrapped. It was so humiliating. <laughs> no, I love that for you. Should you plug your YouTube? <laughs> I, you know what? I did in the second episode. Okay, good. So if you're a religious listener, you know about Johnny Cash Rules 32. <laughs> good, good, good. So please subscribe to that. Uh, BB- I'm subscribed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any pluggables that you want to plug before we head out? Um... Follow Christian on Instagram. Don't follow me. Follow the podcast. Yeah, follow the podcast on Instagram. That's it. Um, please let BB into law school. Please let me into law school um, one day. Yeah. Any any big people, lawyers, hit me up. <laughs> of which I have many. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> lawyers need to like have fun, listen to stuff too, you know? I wonder if there will be a lawyer who will listen to my podcast at some point and will be like... Oh, God. <laughs> Me looking back in, like, 20 years. <laughs> I hope you reflect fondly on this yeah. experience that oh, you had. Oh, I absolutely had. will. Uh, and I hope you return to the Lincoln Lodge at some point, which, again, is producing this podcast. Give them all your money. Uh, oh, I love a little applause <laughs> for the Lincoln Lodge. I, this is my third day in a row here because I did work Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, what a lovely place to be. <laughs> what a lovely place to be. <laughs> so, thank you all for tuning in. That is the episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to that, despite the fact that uh, th- this is, in fact, a comedy podcast. I feel like we had some laughs. We had yeah. some cries. <laughs> I'm, I've actually been silently crying this whole time. <laughs> you can tell because it's a podcast, but... BB is very wet right now. Her face is so fucking wet. <laughs> I'm really shiny. <laughs> um, so uh, that that is a wrap on this MFing episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on here. <laughs> I hope to have you on again. I'm Yay. not joking. Oh, I'd love to. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> That's it. See you later. <laughs>